0: Hello everyone and welcome to uh, the Highlander cast. We are back-ish from the dead-ish. <laughs> Haven't recorded for a while for a variety of reasons, um, but yeah we're here. Uh, so I'm Vance as usual and with me is Sarv. Hello everyone. So now that we're back from the dead, what's your favourite card that interacts with the graveyard?
1: Ah, uh, you've sprung it on me. The first thing I was going to say is animate dead and that's solely because I vividly remember it in high school uh, and someone casting it and it evoking so much uh, you know, thematic flavour of magic and casting a spell that returned something from the graveyard. Uh, I-, I vividly remember Animate Dead. I also remember it having a lot of text on it and the person explaining... It puts the thing from the graveyard into the battlefield as a bit weaker. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes total sense. And I never read the text.
0: (laughs) Yeah, look, uh, Animate Dead is extremely high flavor. There are a number of cards from early Magic where they kind of don't... Like, they're bad rules, but they're very cool. Like, Fireball doesn't quite do what a Fireball does, but it Mm. does get that flavor of, you know, I'm going to spend a jillion manor and burn everything for a bunch um, in a way that is a little bit algebraic and very confusing to a lot of I'm sure there were lots of people at nine in the schoolyard who were like I don't know what this does but it kills
1: you (laughs) Um, did you have a preference between Disintegrate or Fireball?
0: I think I I prefer Fireball even though Disintegrate is much cleaner
1: hmm I was, I was a big fan of the art on Disintegrate. Fireball was like, it was a bit static when I looked at the art. It didn't really evoke any dynamism to it. But seeing Disintegrate, you know, I remember that art and, and remember it from, you know, playing it in the schoolyard.
0: <laughs> yeah, look, um, a lot of the very early magic art is, uh, you know, people complain that art now is kind of very... You know, it's all, its all you know, stylistically the same and it's all, you know, very computer generated and stuff. And that's true. Some of the art, uh, like I, I do like some of the variation in some of the old art, but also a lot of the old art is really quite bad. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, we wax lyrical about these great cards and great arts and then we'll probably go back and go, "Ah, oh, actually, this isn't really good. <laughs> um, do, do you know,
0: before we get into our main topic for the day, do you know the only card I think the only card from Alpha, uh, who, which was painted by a professional artist.
1: Oh, the only, um, uh, I'm not going to say Black Lotus, because I think that was like a last minute, some, it was a last minute design, last minute art.
0: I don't know if Lotus was a last minute art, but my understanding is that most of the um, artists in Alpha were Art students, or people who, Mm. I mean, I guess they were all professional because they were getting paid, but you know, people who hadn't done a lot of um, professional art. No, it's Stasis. Oh, Stasis was painted by, I want to say it was Richard Garfield's aunt um, who was a, you know, professional artist. Yeah.
1: Oh, well, there you go. Well, look. These are the things you learn. And how many cards are in the set? Like three, four hundred, or some ridiculous number? And all, of all of them, there's only one run by. it. Yeah,
0: I think it's I think it's two hundred and fifty or three hundred. Uh, wow.
1: Yeah. So well, I'm well, going to flip the question back on you. What's your favorite? Uh, uh, what 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 kind of spell was it? Raise Raise dead. Well, I, would, dead I was just talking
0: spell. about you know, things that interact with the graveyard or things that brings things back from the dead. Yeah. Obviously, Grim is near and dear. My my favorite Raise Dead spell is, I don't know. I've got a fondness for a lot of zombies, so, you know, a lot of uh, grave crawlers and such, which um, bring themselves mm. back from the dead. Look, original Resurrection is kind of a fascinating slice of the foregone colour pie. Uh,
1: is that the white spell that returned to creation? Yeah. Like zombify?
0: Yeah, it's it's zombify, but it's white. Uh, it might be white, white, and two instead of white and three. I can't remember. Right, might even, be, might even be five mana. I'm sure someone will tell me. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's um, there's a lot of stuff when you're looking back on the past that um, doesn't really make very much sense from a modern magic perspective, (laughs) but made perfect sense at the time. Like, what other colour is resurrection going to be? Of course, it's, you know, some priest bringing back uh, Jesus, given I guess it's going to be approximately Easter when we put this out. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know. Uh, possibly a week after he started, I don't know. Depends how excited I am about editing. Yeah, look, I, I just thought uh, talking about the graveyard was somewhere we could start before we move on to our other topic because the graveyard more than ever is... Um, I mean, we've done episodes in the graveyard, but it's a resource that if you're not exploiting it and your opponent is, um, it's bad because a lot of the time it's like mm. suddenly they've got this supply of uh, treasures that they can use for the limited number of spells, but pretty powerful spells. Mm -hmm. Um, and you don't. So, you know, make some use of your graveyard and plan to mess for your opponents. That's that's the moral of the first chapter of today's episode.
1: (laughs) You definitely feel that when you're playing, you know, blue-white control in Highlander, blue-white X control, and you go, oh, I've only got this many things that use the graveyard. Maybe I'll cut one or two of these, and then I'll put rest in peace in the sideboard and... Your game ones where you're not punishing the graveyard because and you're not using it, oh, they feel very um, you're missing out on something,
0: yeah. Look, there's a lot of um, wizards keeps sensibly not going back to the well of delve for standard legal sets, um, but Mm. less pleasingly keeps going back to the well of delve for um, modern horizon sets.
1: One one day there'll be a um, an eternal set that's like super balanced. I wonder, let's see.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, <laughs> I maybe. hope. So, my second topic, um, and I don't know whether you've actually looked at the spoilers at all, but uh, anything from New Capenna caught your eye yet?
1: I almost always don't really look at the spoilers until the last minute. Then I look at all of the spoilers in one go and then go, oh, this is amazing, oh, and then completely skip over a particular card, and it turns out that card is busted. Um, however, this time has been um, an exception. Uh, when I heard that triomes are going to be printed uh, for yeah. the wet, what is it? Not wedge. Is that is that no. uh, the allied? Um, the you know, the Black and its allied yeah, shards shards. Right, not wedges. Um, uh, when when I heard that they're going to be printed and finish the cycle, uh, I was just wow. Oh, this is so exciting. It, it's something that. I know Highlander players have absolutely wanted the first time Triomes were spoiled. I went, this is a game changer. I, it is going to completely change Highlander, um, and it was people cottoned onto that very quickly. It wasn't the kind of thing that was like a slow burn. People cottoned onto it and went, oh, actually, this is this is really really good. Uh, to the point that you know, I was building decks without shocklands. You know, you just have your Triome, your dual lands, and then no shocklands and a bunch of basics and maybe even snow. Um, and they've changed the landscape so much, and when you play the Shards and you don't have Grixis Triome, uh, you feel the difference. It, it's a noticeable difference. Um, fixing that is going to be great.
0: I guess from um, from a counterpoint side, um, I wasn't excited when I saw them in the set, but that's not because I don't think they'll be good. <laughs> it's because I wish they would unprint the, the, the original ones.
1: <laughs> yeah that's that is a fair assessment given how much of highlander is very much a like four color good stuff stew of mid-range uh value and it's enabled by these types of things so i i, I accept that but by extension i did uh, after seeing those lands i went oh is this going to be a um you know a, a set that focuses on this these shards like shards of alara was and lo and behold shortly after that the uh the charms were spoiled, or some of the charms were spoiled. They look great. They look really nice, you know? Not not OP, um, not super weak. They're at the kind of good power level.
0: Yeah, so far this is the kind of set where I'm actually pretty interested because it doesn't look like it's... I mean, it's no, uh, you know, Modern Horizons, Ikoria, Throne of Eldraine, mm. etc. So far. I mean, I'm, I'm sure mm. they'll... You know, on the day before the pre release, they'll be like, oh, surprise, we've printed Thassa's Oracle 2, except now it's one mana and <laughs> just wins the game. It's text is just one mana, win the game. I'm like, wizards.
1: We, we've got a new fixed planeswalker. It's a uh, green, uh, blue, and two colorless, not one colorless, called uh, Bloco. And uh, <laughs> Bloco makes treasure tokens instead of food tokens. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. Uh...
0: <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, there, there have um, been some exciting cards. There's, um, there's you know, yet another card that combos with Devoted Druid. Um, there's uh, a, a cool design of, a, I can't remember what it's called, but it's, it's some bird soldier or bird wizard or something. It's two mana for a 1-3. Whenever anyone casts their second spell of a turn, put a plus one plus one counter on it. Pretty easy to make it a 2-4. Relatively easy to make it a 3-5. It's just, you know, a good little beater.
1: Yeah. so these are the types of cards that uh, let's say that if we we just ignored that twenty nineteen through twenty twenty, you know, <laughs> one existed, and new capenna were were printed uh, in twenty eighteen, um, all of these cards that are like s- solid. People would be brewing with them like crazy. Oh, i got to fit this one in. i got to try this one out. And then over the course of three months, some of them settle and people are like, yeah, we've called on that card. Oh, this one's actually a little bit better than it was before. And out of all of them, one of them will become an absolute staple. Like back, back in the day when Corsair of Crufix was printed in a set and it was the defining card of that set. Nothing else is good, but for Highlander, this is now the staple. We brewed with lots of the things there, but this is the staple card. Um, and, it, 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 if we put that lens on, this is the type of set that will be exciting. They, they're they all like slightly above the level of power that you'd expect, but not so far that you're getting Oko's, and you actively want to brew with them. So, yeah, unfortunately, 2019, 2022, uh, 2021 spoiled <laughs> some some of the joy of spoiler season, um, but hopefully uh, the, the things just settle down a little bit and, and we can go back to that. That um, innocence.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. What's What um, card
1: are you excited about? So you mentioned the bird, wizard, um, I mean, flying I, I carmogoy.
0: I haven't seen anything that... Um, I haven't seen any zoo creatures. Um, and zoo creatures are kind of hard in a shard set because you're, you're, the number of um, one-mana cards you can fit in when you're trying to make everything three colours is not mm. that high. Um So, yeah, look... I, I, there's a bunch of cards that look fun. Uh, there's a few cards that look, you know, pretty decent, and there's nothing that looks ridiculous. So, yeah, I, I enjoy a set where you can just sort of sit back and take it all in
1: at your leisure, rather than being like, oh well, we've solved this on day one. Uh, thanks, everyone. <laughs> What would you pay for a um, zoo specific Tarmogwave, One that can't be abused in literally every deck, like Tarmogoyf <laughs> does. But you know, like it's got the hybrid hybrid as the two manas and the, and their zoo type mana symbols, and it's uh, you know well, it's I mean, like solidly a, a three a three four uh, a four four or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, that'd be great. <laughs> one day, one day, <laughs> and it's a monkey to be like to to add to it as well. Like it's an ape. <laughs> Yeah, look, well, now we're just asking for too much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> get, it'll get pointed yeah. straight away. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> too powerful. <laughs> so the main topic we've got for today um, is around accessibility. So um, we've been talking a bunch with the community. We've done a couple of surveys, which we'll talk about some of the you know, highlights of um, shortly. But first, we just want to talk a bit about... Um, what accessibility means to us Um, Mm -hmm. and then we'll start talking about what it means to some other people from the community obviously this is a fairly uh hot button topic for a lot of people you know some people are very some people have always been upset with the notion that a card might be pointed not for its strict play value which is almost impossible to do anyway but you know that aside not for strict play value but also because it's you know library of alexandria being the classic example um Mm -hmm. and whilst i still think i'm not convinced it would be good for the format at zero anyway definitely part of the reason for it still being at one is that it's depending on the price you're looking at uh somewhere between two and a half and seven and a half thousand dollars as at time of recording uh us dollars um Ugh. I think that 7500 is almost certainly an error in someone's data, but that's what it was when we were looking at it last night. And that's a lot of money. That That's not the kind of money you can reasonably expect a new player coming in from the outside or someone who's only played for a little while to look at and go, oh yeah, I am happy to play in a format where my deck might be strictly worse because I can't afford to blow X thousand dollars on this one particular card.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a uh, a format, seven point Highlander is uh, has some advantages uh, in that it is you know governed by a uh, committee of uh, you know uh, passionate people from the community, and we have the ability to shape some of those uh, things that that uh, are around accessibility. For example, if Library of Alexandria was a ten cent card, and it was. Uh, uh, healthy for the format for it to be zero points then we'd really not have an issue um, but here we have two things one, that it's uh, it may not be healthy at zero points is it worth trying it at zero points uh, and two um, is it worth trying given the fact that if it is indeed in some way, shape or form a um, a staple or close to a staple and as you said making decks strictly worse um then is that a risk that you're willing to take to make it zero? Now, uh, I think that library of Alexandria is a great parallel to, um, to the dual lands. Cause there's a bit of a precedent there. Uh, if you look at, um, the exact argument there with, uh, library of Alexandria, uh, Whilst people do say, yeah, okay, look, this is a problem. People aren't generally losing too much sleep. Well, there's probably someone out there that's losing a lot of sleep over like Alexander being one point um, and not zero. But people aren't generally losing too much sleep and saying, I'm, I'm not going to play that format. But dual lands, however, are in fact zero points. Um, and if we lived in a parallel universe where um, we all viewed highlander in a way that dual lands were printed in new capenna they're brand new um and uh everyone goes wow this is going to completely change the format is it the case they might be uh, powerful enough to be pointed uh these are questions that we can't really um you know talk about other than in an academic sense, because it's not the real world. Uh, dual lands are fundamentally a part of, and the you know the the lifeblood in many ways of how Highlander feels for people. So, yeah, we can't we can only only think about that as a, as an academic experiment. But yeah. yeah, the comparison between them and and um, Library of Alexandria is a good example of why accessibility is so important to talk about.
0: Yeah, and and, and why it's so so hard to find a perfect solution. So um, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about um, that I think are, I fully understand why people would want to go for and would suggest, but I think are not fully viable so part of the problem. So the, is that-
1: the, just before you jump into that, these are these are solutions. Before we talk about those potential solutions, I just wanted uh, yeah. to make a yeah, just make a comment about the first survey that went out um, that you put together, which is yep. really really instrumental in helping us understand you know, what people's perception is of the format, you know, yeah. it, and we we kind of as the committee have been talking about accessibility for a long time. It's factored in in some ways as that last line of of uh, reasoning when it comes to a pointing decision. Uh, you know, it's, it's often referred to, and you'll see it in our mission statement, that affordability or accessibility is a factor if we needed a tiebreaker, if there's something else that needed to push a decision over the edge, Uh, then if it's $0.10 or $10,000, that could be the reason to make that decision. Um, However, we wanted to have an idea and get our kind of finger on the pulse and know what uh, people's view is of Highlander and whether there is an accessibility issue. And um, uh, the main thing that came out of that survey, that first survey, was it is pretty clear pretty uh, universally clear that Highlander does have an accessibility problem how you define that problem is uh, everyone's going to define it in different ways and obviously we can't come in and uh, you know uh, judge a person who can't afford um, you know three dollars for a dig through time uh, and then make a, an arbitrary judgment to say that's affordable or that's not affordable. Uh, any kind of decision you make at the end of the day around affordability will be um, will be fundamentally uh, uh, an opinion. However, there are some uh, extant facts and those facts are the reserved list is not is probably probably not going away or has any indication that it would be going away. And those specific cards will go up in over time.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure. So, yeah, um, that's that's kind of the the consensus from that first survey. It's very, very overwhelming consensus. There are obviously yeah. people that don't believe there is an accessibility problem, and I respect that that is a viewpoint, and it's a viewpoint that you could hold if you're entrenched in the format and there's really... Um, you want to keep that format in the same way. And I understand if you've bought into a format, you don't necessarily want something to change if it's outside of uh, uh, um, you know, your, your purview and you want to continue it as it is. Um, yeah. But it is a pretty clear consensus there is an accessibility issue, so we need to address it. And, and just talking in terms of numbers from that
0: first survey, um, so I mean, we were only asking in broad terms, but in broad terms, more than half of the people... Uh, who responded to the survey have been playing for less than five years. Mm-hmm. Um, about 10% of the people who responded don't actually currently play Highlander but would like to. Um, mm. you know, in, in terms of some of these powerful cards like Jewel Lands, um, about 40% of people who responded don't own any Jewels currently. Mm. Um, and uh, only about 20% of people said that they have access to basically whatever cards they want. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, th- those are things to take into account. Um, and, and a lot of people, you know, say that fundamentally they couldn't build even a single Highlander deck they were entirely happy with um, from their collection uh, as mm-hmm. it stands currently. I um, mean, we, we got a lot of uh, good short answer responses, which I won't read through because I don't want to, you know, identify anyone or pick on anyone in particular. Mm-hmm. Um... Some people were very happy with the way we were doing things. Some people weren't, and that's your, you know, prerogative. If you're not happy with the way the committees handle at the moment, um, uh, I'm stepping down from it. So you know, we've got an application process happening at the moment. Look on the Discord mm-hmm. or the Facebook site, and you can find more about that. Um, and you know, maybe you can be involved. But certainly, everyone can have their say. You can always. I like to think we're reasonably approachable. But that wasn't the point I was going for. Uh, Sorry, what I was going for was one of the things a lot of people suggested or talked about in that first survey was proxies. And proxies Mm. are kind of a vexed issue for us. Um, Fundamentally, we want to pick a solution that can work at all levels and doesn't have a risk of someone going to a store or a store wanting to run Highlander and they're like, ah, but we don't like proxies, we don't want to do that um Mm -hmm. and proxies cover a lot of things there's a lot of things you can describe as so there are things you can describe as definitely a proxy so you know you write black lotus on uh, a basic planes and put it in your deck well that's a proxy right Mm -hmm. um pretty clearly um gold boarded cards uh so like collector's edition and the old um uh world championship decks um as far as Wizards are concerned, even though they printed them, those aren't legal cards for magic events to contain. Gold, Gold Border in particular, uh, I, I have a bit of a bugbear around because from the point of view of a tournament organiser, it there's almost literally no difference between that and a proxy mm. from, from the people I've spoken to. Um, you know, A number of store owners um, I, I think that those are just proxies, but... They also kind of have the downside of the real cards, so they're they're not cheap cards. Um, mm. Some of them are a decent chunk cheaper than than the equivalent. Um, I believe some of the gold bordered cards are, you know, uh, from the uh, World Championship decks are three to five times as cheap as the equivalent, which is good. Mm. Um, like Guy's Cradle, is- Guy's, Guy, Guy's Cradle is quite a bit cheaper. I think it's only three or four hundred dollars in gold border and about a thousand in. Mm. real. So that, that that's, you know, that's a decent discount. Um jewel lands on the other hand are the same price or more in most cases um because the supply of jewel lands you get from adding gold border you you add about uh I think you add about 15,000 um and the total supply of jewel lands across all printings is about 500,000 of each. Wow. Um, so so you're adding you're it's adding, not much. Not much. You're adding an, an mm. additional copy of unlimited basically. So mm-hmm. that that's that's pretty low. Um, and for power, so you know time volt, actual power, uh, etc. That was in um, uh, Alpha Beta Unlimited. Um, you are increasing the supply a decent amount. So you're roughly doubling the supply. The supply of say, Mox Ruby. Oh no, no you're not quite doubling. You're increasing it by like sixty or seventy percent, uh, which is good. Okay. But. Uh. It's still thousands of dollars. Hang on, I'm just going to... Wow. Google it now.
1: Yeah, these are, these are expensive proxies. They're very expensive proxies. Um, and I know that uh, a lot of um, uh, EDH players invested in uh, World Championship gold border on the front guys' cradles because they were uh, cheap. Uh, and then... Um, you know, uh collector's edition gold border on the back dual lands because they were cheap and then suddenly they went up because was it a passion in old school or some kind of resurgence in old school maybe? Or maybe yeah. just everything went up. Whatever it was, it's they're they're not um they're not cheaper than writing, you know, jet on a on a on a plane's they're treated the same as a proxy.
0: It was about Twelve hundred to fourteen hundred US dollars for a wow. collector's edition Mox Ruby, and again, that's much better than the I'm not looking it up, but say five or six thousand for a real one, mm. uh, for an unlimited one. But um, they're not; <laughs> they don't meet my definition of accessibility. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, the other thing that happened in in that first survey is we got a lot of really interesting suggestions from the community um, of things that we could do or comments they had about the, the notion of accessibility. And look, I definitely am sympathetic to the notion that we want to find, and and the rest of the committee is, um, you can disagree with me if you disagree, but I'm do pretty sure you don't. Um, <laughs> we we want to find a solution that leaves the format feeling much as it feels currently to the extent mm-hmm. possible. There are going to be changes. It is absolutely going to, any solution we have that doesn't impact the metagame is either proxies or useless. Um, but we want to find a solution that lets people, for the most part, keep playing the cards they have, but lets new people come in and not feel like they're just on a hiding to nothing.
1: Yes, and, and the importance of having those two surveys uh, kind of separated by a little bit was uh, because in the first survey... I didn't really expect there to be that dramatic a response around please do proxies, um, because I thought that people um, understood that it's not really the uh, you know it's not not the jurisdiction of the committee to be able to say all tos you must use proxies because we would probably um, I, again not speaking for everyone but I, I myself I I own uh, power and dual lands and I would happily have every opponent I play who is playing on a budget uh, treat their treat their shock land like it didn't shock them or write bad lands on a on a uh, basic swamp and use that for the uh, that for an event I would happily have that because oh. I want to play the best Highlander we can um, absolutely and even if it's you know some competitive rules enforcement level I'm not gonna gain any joy about winning because my opponent shocked and I won because of those two life however there are obviously people in a community will, there will be some people who say, no, you should play with what you own and so on. I understand that is a perception. Um, but the... Sorry, go on. Uh, the, so the, the uh, first survey, I didn't expect there to be that much of a traction around proxy, but there was, and there was a dramatic portion, really, really large portion, um, of people who are like, just allow proxies. And, um, the the thing was, people assume that proxy is the solution because it's the only solution they've been presented with and you don't know what you don't know. Uh, and being able to synthesize some of the feedback that people had, there were some suggestions in there that, hey, why don't we, you know, allow two shock lands? Or, you know, there were some suggestions in those comments from people that had been thinking about accessibility, Um, but it was quite clear that people needed to also be presented with all the information we have, which is all the people talking to us, the Discord, Facebook, uh, private messages and emails, uh, and the first survey. We had many sources that have been um, uh, providing us with lots of great ideas, including our own great ideas within our, our circle as well. We're not just <laughs> piggybacking off your all your ingenuity, but it was an instrumental part, getting that kind of feedback from everyone. It was very, very useful. Yeah. Um, and we've been talking about these for months and probably multiple announcement cycles now. Uh, uh, we've been talking about possible solutions, but it's only really now that we've had that chance where we can synthesize all of these suggestions present them back and then the second survey was that opportunity to demonstrate there are other ways around you know proxy's not not possible but there are nine possible things that we can see so far as potential uh, solutions with all yeah. different levels of uh, of uh, uh, logistics around them um, yeah. and, and when people responded to that it was quite clear that because in the first uh, phase they didn't know what they didn't know, so proxy is the only solution. Now suddenly there are different solutions and uh, there was differing support for each of those solutions. So I think it was really important to kind of outline to the community how this is a stage-by-stage process and one that is constantly evolving. So, um, yeah, it is a very interesting space to be watching.
0: Yeah, and just back on the subject of proxies, um, as Sav said, the committee can't make TOs accept proxies. Like, it's literally not within our power. If a TO decides they don't want them, or thinks that wizards will, you know, crack down on them with the wrath of God, not the card. The anyway, <laughs> um, then that's you know, we're not the ones running these events, nor do we wish to be the ones running them. But that said, if you're able to talk to a store about running events with proxies. Uh, if you're able to run your own events outside a store with proxies, absolutely do it. 100% endorse it. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. You know, the, the fact that the, some of these cards are so expensive is kind of ridiculous. Um, so <laughs> if... <laughs> we're, we're not saying don't think about proxies or don't play, you know, pub events with proxies or whatever because, um, you know, please don't take your moxes to a pub. Um, <laughs> we're just saying... We can't make that, we we physically can't make that happen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And imagine if you liken this to, uh, I don't know, 10-pin bowling, which has many casual leagues and then you have really competitive leagues and so on, same as like casual tournaments and the competitive tournaments. And you imagine that in the casual event, people come in with different types of bowling balls. And anything goes and it's lots of fun and everyone has a blast and you go home and you go, Oh, that person had a I had a massive bowling ball that filled the entire width of the lane, knocked every pin over every time they rolled it. But it was I still had fun. But then you go to Comp Rel and everyone has the most powerful bowling ball. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> if you didn't have the right shoes, the right gloves, the right, you know, chalk to put on your fingers, you know, all of these elements. If you don't have this, you cannot compete. Or if you don't have it, you might be the underdog. Maybe you'll win that event once in a while and spike it, but most of the time you're just fighting an uphill battle, and everyone else is using the um, the uh, I don't know, like those those bumper bowling <laughs> bumpers with the roll and and rolling it down the frame or something, and it's a it's a ball as wide as the <laughs> widest <as> the <laughs> the lane. Um, that's kind of what it's like. Oh, over exaggeration, but it's kind of what it's like when uh, a brand new player goes. Oh, that's a cool format. Oh, you played Gush. I've heard of that. I've got one of them. It's 20 cents. Oh, what did you play off the Gush? Oh, you played a Tundra. And then you tapped the, that Mox Pearl you had um, to cast your moat. And, you know, this is... Oh, those are really expensive. I don't think this is a format for me. It's the same. You just won't start. And and that's the that's the nightmare scenario is for our format to die... Because players just, at some point, 10 years from now, one year from now, 100 years from now, they just go, that's not a viable format, and then it dies.
0: And I know some people uh, are doubtful about this, but what you've got to look at is vintage. You used to be able to get, you know, a decade ago, a decade and a half ago, you used to be able to get vintage events with 30, 40, 50 players. Mm -hmm. Um, These days, when you see a vintage side event at Eternal Masters, for instance, which is Is coming up in June. Um, The question people ask is, what are the odds you think that it's going to get eight? And actually, Mm -hmm. the event is going to occur. And people are often like, yeah, it might not. No one wants to take uh, a house deposit in a (laughs) small portable box and go to an event with it.
1: No. Um, No, it's just not feasible. And the last thing we want is Highlander to turn out like that. So. You know, it may be doomsaying, and yes, people might say, you know, that's, that's an exaggeration. You can always play a budget deck in vintage, and you can come in with your null rods, and you know, you, you can definitely make it work and play budget. And there's a budget prize, and all those types of things. Yeah, that's true. But then the events don't fire because there are a certain number of people that will do that, and then there are a certain number of people that will say, I just don't want to get into that. I I don't think I'll ever be able to afford what I want to do in that format, yeah, so I and- won't start playing it.
0: And the perception is a big problem. You know, you have people saying things like, oh, but you can just play X, Y, and Z. Um, You can play Blue Moon and you can, uh, you in fact were saying this when we were talking the other night, you can play Mm -hmm. Blue Moon and you can cut the volcanic and it's much cheaper and it's true. But from the point of view of someone looking from the outside, um, that's not their thought process. People don't look at a format, well, I'm sure some people do, a lot of people don't look at a format and say, what's the cheapest possible deck? I'm going to do a bunch of research before I decide that mm-hmm. I can't afford to buy into it. No, they're going to look at it and say, oh, these decks have all got five dual lands and seven moxes and cost $100,000. I'm not going to play. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, you need to do something upfront to signal to people that they are invited.
1: We do want Yeah. Them. yeah. That probably leads us straight into... How do we do that? Because that's the biggest question now. We, we've we identified, as you've listened to the podcast, you've identified from our same thought process that you've been following along with us at home that is there a problem? Yes, there is. Do people want it solved? Yes, they do. Uh, how do we solve it? Uh, <laughs> that's the hard part, the really, really difficult part. and. Um, yeah. What So what were your general uh, feelings in terms of looking at the the feedback uh, on uh, the nine... There there were nine uh, solutions that were presented uh, uh, in different levels of similarity. You know, some of them are very yeah. similar, some yeah. of them are very different. What was your general kind of feel from well, what people were saying?
0: I mean, I don't think these... I think we should be clear. These aren't the only possible solutions. These are just no. some that were put forward that we thought were worth... At least thinking about or at least discussing with the community some of them we were pretty sure no one was going to be keen on like Mm -hmm. uh one of the options was just ban all the cards on the reserve list and unsurprisingly most people were like that's just a different format that i'm much less interested in playing um which is fair enough i would also be much less interested in playing that format um part of the joy of highlander as we said on this podcast probably in the first episode is you can play any card you want, just not all at once. Mm.
1: Yeah, oh, um, so that should just be the tagline: Highlander. Colon. You can play any card you want, but just not all at once. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the Gathering at the <laughs> at the end. Yeah, it's a
0: little little bit less
1: pissy than the Gathering. <laughs> no, but we'll, we'll we'll find a way to to word that one. <laughs> it's almost like there can be only one. Might be no. <laughs> um, that,
0: that's that um, new uh, Michelle Yao movie about the multiverse, right? Everything, everywhere, not all at once. Uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> um so yeah the, as you as you pointed out there are some that uh uh people are, are very consistently a- opposed to um and with with obvious reason but you know we still wanted to field them because they were suggestions that people brought up and we yeah. wanted to know exactly how much do what's the consensus like um and I think maybe it's it's good to now segue into the talking of proxies and pseudo proxies yep. because about five, maybe four of the possible uh, uh, potential rules, so half the rules, revolved around a variant of uh, proxying without proxying, using a legitimate card and presenting it with a way that would be legal, tournament legal. Uh, For example, let's just take a a really simple example. Let's say that the accessibility rule was that... um, Uh, everyone starts the game with an emblem and the emblem states that, in parentheses, as long as you don't have the corresponding dual land, right, that's in there. Um, the emblem states that, uh, Ice, Ice Tunnel, uh, and its friends, which are the Kaldheim Snowlands, um, they come into play tapped, they tap, they are Island and Swamp if it's Ice Tunnel, it's Snow-type, um... Fundamentally, if you look at the card, aesthetically, it has all the text that a um, dual land would have. Island, swamp, uh, it's a non-basic land, and it says taps for black or uh, blue. However, it's got that pesky text that says uh, comes into play tapped and has a snow supertype. But everyone has an emblem and it says ice tunnel and friends come into play untapped and they lose the snow supertype. So... Yeah, that, and what's your talk what's your commentary there in terms of uh the nature of this pseudo proxy even if we make it in a certain way with an emblem and get well, it tournamentally yeah. formatted so a judge goes yes this works you know let's say assume that it works from a judging perspective but uh, i mean, what, what do you think
0: my, my first thought is um and someone suggested i, I like doing it uh, as conspiracies rather than emblems but conspiracies cause, yeah because yeah, it's boy. a funnier joke um <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's no conspiracy here we're, yeah. we're not trying to play proxies of course not
0: um, so I, I think there's a couple of I I like where the idea is coming from, it's, it's trying to find a way around this problem um, but uh, I am not sure uh, that it's a way around this problem that is as clean as some people think, so mm-hmm the first problem is um, would TOs accept it? Like, if you go up to a TO and explain this rule to them, is it just, are they just going to say, that's just proxies? How dumb do you think I am? Like, we all know what you're doing here. That's, you know, proxy, to be clear, does not, uh, like, having a magic back is not sufficient to make it not a proxy because many Mm. proxies are just sharpied on. But even quite aside from that, a proxy is just anything that is not the card you're playing it as. If if you follow me, um, and you can so have... if it was
1: ice tunnel, like let's say that I had ice tunnel, I, we're playing alongside each other, we're in a competitive rules environment, so it's not t, not a local tournament, uh, and I played ice tunnel, put it onto the battlefield, and I had texter, put a texter across, comes into play tapped, texter across snow. Um, and I play this, and I say, I'm playing Ice Tunnel. and I'm not playing Underground Sea. I'm playing Ice Tunnel. Can this please come into play untapped according to the Highlander rules? That's kind of what what we're we're stating. And the Highlander rules state Ice Tunnel may come into play untapped. Yeah. However, yeah. what does that look like from a tournament organiser? A tournament organiser walks over and says, <laughs> what? <laughs>
0: well, uh, It's hard to know, um, but, you know, mm. I feel like the... <laughs> If, if getting around the reserve list was this easy, um, <laughs> it would be done everywhere all the time, right? Um, yeah. You know. Could this work in an event? Absolutely. Absolutely. You could get everyone on board with it and run it. I'm sure mm-hmm. you could do that. Um, could you be confident this would work in any event? If you just heard, oh, there's a store running a Highlander. I'm going to take my you know salt marsh slash ice tunnel Mm -hmm. emblem deck um and play it and everything will be great i'm less sure could you run this could you be confident that at a um a large event such as nationals or a gp or um what super series whatever the new Mm. pro regional pro toury thing is Mm -hmm. um which will have Highlander side events. Um, I'm certain of that. Um, could you be confident that at that they would accept this rule? I'm, I'm much less sure. Um, and there are some conversations we can have and maybe <coughs> maybe two weeks from now we'll be saying, yeah, hell yeah, we're doing this because mm. we've got everyone sorted out. Yeah, so, so exactly. That's, that's the proxy site issue. I think there are a couple of additional issues with it though. Um, the first one is it's a lot of extra mental load slash descriptive load when talking about the format with a new player. Like, I don't think, even if we just do it as the dual lands, I don't think you can get this rule in half a page. Um, I I don't think you can explain it to the average punter in a short amount of time and have them confidently understand it um, or be okay with it. Um, Like, and and that's if we're just talking about dual lands. And uh, I personally don't think a version of this rule that's just for dual lands works i think any accessibility solution that doesn't address you know the various two plus thousand dollar cards is probably not um you know that accessible wizards are helping out uh, in their own way by printing you know cards like ragavan and underworld breach so that red decks do have yep. more things to spend their points on yeah <laughs> they've got points <laughs> um, to <but> use <laughs> You know, one of those rare things we get to really say, yeah, thanks, wizards. Oh, I was just going to say, and, and the, the third thing is that uh, I sus- you it would take some effort, not, I mean, a doable amount of effort, but it would take some effort to come up with a set of rules clearly describe how all of this works. Like, um, let's say we expand it out. Um, instead of Time Vault, you can play Time sieve, which I don't know how mm-hmm. much that costs, but I assume it's about a buck. Maybe it's 10 bucks, I don't know. <laughs> um, maybe I've just randomly picked a card that's hellishly more expensive than I think and have made a EDH job.
1: drives demand <laughs>
0: yeah um, yep. you, you can play uh, Moss Diamond instead of Mox emerald mm-hmm. Yeah, um, is a better example Good um, example
1: your, your rules
0: have to have some stuff around making it clear that uh, when I duress you I get to know what the card is like. Uh, you know, you have to clearly explain to me. Yes, I I am, you know, triggering mm-hmm. this hidden conspiracy, or you know, emblem or whatever. Uh, Moss Diamond is Mox Emerald, um, because eh, even though it's unlikely that anyone's playing Moss Diamond, that could someone could choose to play it in some weird deck. Um, so you know, you need to have your rules clear about that. You need to have your rules clear about. Uh, costs in all zones and names Mm -hmm. of cards, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that, you know, if you go Bile therapy and and name Moss Diamond, um, we both have a clear understanding of whether the card is named Moss Diamond or Mox Emerald.
1: Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of these kind of logistics. And again, not saying that we cannot do this, but yeah, we would have to uh, word it very carefully. That was a lot of the feedback from the survey, um, which was, you know, this is a great idea but how are you going to treat this? So this is a great idea. Um, what you need to think about uh, these ramifications and um, the, overall the, the the support for um, power. Uh, you know, as much as you, you did did say, you know, addressing the dual lands, but not addressing the fact that power is unaffordable. Um, is is not an option. The, generally, the community is is quite on board with something that addresses dual lands uh, in some way, shape, or form, but doesn't need to address uh, Ancestral Recall and Mox Jet and so on um, because they, they recognise there is a pretty clear disparity between the fact that the dual lands are incredibly staple to a wide variety of archetypes and largely drive... Um, game interactions every single game if you can't fetch that badlands on turn one to thought seize them and not go down to uh, 15 instead of 17 um there's so that generally the support behind some kind of parallel for you know moss moss diamond and all these other kind of uh uh uh, things um is not necessarily there but it is for the you know say snow jewels and removing the tapped claws but can we do it that's a big question
0: I think, I, I think that for more enfranchised players, who are the ones more likely to have answered the survey, the second survey in particular, mm-hmm. um, are less are, are less likely to be um, worried about power, uh, because you and I both know that power. Mm. I mean, it can be very good. Uh, Rob Lark's uh, deck, which he made top eight of nationals both days with because we had Nationals twice this year for, you know, COVID reasons. Um, mm-hmm. Ancestral and, Recall. And, and, and one one day, was playing Ancestral Recall. Um, yep. Like, you know, they, it will come as a shock to no one, but Ancestral Recall is a pretty powerful magic card, right? Um, but for a lot of day-to-day users, Jules is kind of the, um, the poster child for a lot of people about accessibility. Yeah. But I think if you're looking at it from the point of view of someone who doesn't play... Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that um, I think came up in the first survey where where we had some more people who who play less is that power is a huge perception issue and it's something I've heard from a lot Mm. of um, the the Toowoomba guys and um, the Sydney guys who who have sort of newer uh, by and large newer communities that there are a lot of people who, even if they've got a legacy collection, they look at the format and go oh but you can play Moxes, I can't afford that and Mm. You know, so I, I think any jewels only solution um, would would be helpful, but doesn't address the full breadth of the problem.
1: Yeah, um, there's some there's some issues where you know people can respond to that and say, yeah, but that's pointed, and they go, yeah, but what about Badlands? Oh, that yeah. isn't pointed. You know, so yeah, there yeah, sure. there are some weird perception issues though. But I completely agree with you that yeah, there there is definitely a consensus from new players wait a second, I don't have an Ancestral Recall. I can't play this format. And you, you do have to work them around. But then as soon as you work them around to, oh, wait, I don't need to spend five. Oh, I get five points to spend somewhere else. Oh, okay, that's good. Uh, how many points are Tundra? <laughs> yeah. But um, the,
0: the other problem there is that... And, and they get played in far fewer decks. But um, you've got cards like uh, Tabernacle at Pendrel Vale, which... You know, mm-hmm. again, the I I have never I don't I'm going to say never I don't think I've ever put a tabernacle in a Highlander deck. Um, I don't know. Prove mm. me wrong, kids. Um, I've wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and it's it's a good example of a card that isn't pointed, but um, is you know x thousand dollars, and where x I think is four or five currently.
1: Um, oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah, there are quite a few. Um, uh, zero point reserved list cards like Lion's Eye Diamond, Gaia's Cradle, Tabernacle at Pendril Vale, that um, they are punishingly expensive. They are zero points and they're often on the discussion is this like, should this be pointed? At, at what point is this going to be pointed? And oftentimes it's that comparison between decks not being strictly worse, you know, like. The opening hand where you've got lanaway Elves, Mystic, uh, Elvish Mystic, and Guy's Cradle, and no forest, yeah. and you're like, oh damn, this. I wish this was a forest. And you know, yes, it's a corner case, yes for sure. Um, and wo by, by, you know, by and large, that Guy's Cradle is going to add a lot of power to your deck. Um, it's these kinds of scenarios where dual lands by far and away demonstrate that your deck is worse. If you are using a shock land in its place, or yeah. using some other kind of uh, land in its place, and yeah, yeah for sure, um, it's yeah, it's definitely definitely a discussion to be had around those zero point reserve list cards. Um, yeah, so
0: I, I just I just went into a bit of a rabbit hole on yeah um, <laughs> yeah we will be here for hours. Tabernacle <laughs> is five thousand um, dollars. Five thousand dollars is five thousand five hundred dollars. And interestingly, when we were having this conversation yesterday, it was cheaper than Tabernacle, but its price has gone up by five hundred dollars today
1: apparently. Ah, uh, damn, I can't play it in my next event. <laughs> yeah. I'll have well, to luckily, be settled, settled with that sliver. Luckily, you've got minus sliver's better.
0: <laughs> you, you've got, of um, the really expensive, unpointed reserve list cards, uh, Tabernacle, uh, of the ones that I think are going to get you know any amount of play, Tabernacle Bazaar, Candelabra, um, Gaea's Cradle's quite common. Um, Guardian Beast is probably a bit niche these days, but uh, you know, and, and then you're down into much cheaper cards like Mox Diamond, which is only seven hundred US dollars.
1: Wow! Yeah, and you need four of it to play Legacy uh, lands yeah. and and so on. Yeah, but this this kind of neatly leads us into discussion of one of the one of the rules um, that we might you know we could spend hours on this too, but just yeah. to kind of touch on is um, offering some kind of incentive for people who. Uh, don't use these cards. Um, yeah. Exactly how that's phrased could be in many ways. Look, for off the top of my head, it could be if you don't have reserve list cards in the deck, you gain a bonus point. It could be yeah, if you a, don't a have varieties. yeah one of the ten dual lands or a pointed reserve or pointed reserve list cards, then you get a bonus point. Whatever it is, some some kind of incentive, some kind of benefit for those individuals who are starting out playing and going, yeah, but I can't afford the three dual lands I need yeah. for my deck. Oh, at least I get to add Skullclamp to my deck.
0: Yeah, and and there, there are pros and pros. there are a couple of sort of related ones that I'll just touch mm. on briefly. So there's the idea of you know uh, pointing jewels in lots of between one and ten for a point. Um, mm-hmm. Various suggestions, um, which could work. Uh, it it is um, a fairly contentious one though. There's a lot of people who are just like, well, I would just you know pack mm-hmm. up my toys and leave.
1: Um, yeah, it's very—it's kind of punishing would, for the individuals that yeah, yeah are already the, invested in the format.
0: I don't—I have some issues with the bonus point idea, um, but the advantage of it is it's additive rather than subtractive. Uh, mm-hmm. The people who have less get a bonus. Um, there are some risks around points that you know maybe some kind of uh, Thoracle doomsday deck or I don't know mm-hmm. uh, work well not. Artifacts deck without workshop, obviously, because it's on the reserve list, but, you know, playing... Or um,
1: Academy, yeah.
0: Yeah, but, you know, playing Mana Crypt and Sol Ring and then you've got two points spare for, I don't know, Urza's Saga and uh, Manafort. Seems pretty sweet. Um, Beautiful. And, yeah, those are things we would have to look out for um, and consider, but, again, going back to sort of what we were saying before, the goal... There's no, in my opinion, there's no realistic version of this goal that doesn't impact the metagame at all yeah and if we make a change that doesn't make it so that some of the more accessible decks are good we've haven't we've probably not made a very good change uh
1: -hmm. like
0: you know uh, someone was asking on, on the discord um what the expectation is and it depends on what we exactly do but i think my goal would be that if you turn up with uh turn up to an event and there's some people playing let's say it's the bonus point rule, um, that they would have a reasonable shot of making the top eight. So, you know, if you ran 10 events and there was one person playing it every time, they would have a couple of top eights in that. I mean, I guess it depends how many people there, but you, know, you don't understand the sort of thing I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That like, you know, people using whatever this accessibility rule ends up being, uh, have some chance of making top eight, some chance of winning. Um, would it yep. be detrimental to the format if we found that um, the quote unquote accessible decks were winning, let's say half the time? Um, it's it's different. We might choose to point some things in those decks, but also that's it's kind of a positive, right? if yeah. If you've got a position where people with less expensive decks can still do well, that's good, right?
1: Mm, yeah exactly and uh, uh, it's something that we can fix with the points list you know so as you as you've uh, mentioned if some kind of new accessibility rule changes the meta in a certain way that um, is not conducive of better quality of play um, and better you know but not a lifestyle improvement um, we can shape that as needed so if if uh, blue moon uh, decks that cut the uh, volcanic island uh, start to also encourage uh, back to basics blue white decks that cut their tundra um, and blue black decks that are con- you know control around back to basics and then suddenly uh, these budget this budget cartel of decks that aren't using any power and then and, and and no dual lands and they're getting a bonus point and it's allowing them to play both Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time, which ends up leading to more wins across the board. Uh, Hey, in some ways, maybe it pushes out all of those four-color stew mid-range decks that we've uh, always found very, very difficult to manage pointings on because they're just good stuff. They're just always going to be a pile of good stuff. Um, yeah. Maybe it shapes the meta in a nice way there, but maybe at the same time, it ends up becoming a meta game where only these decks can compete. And then they start taking their Blood Moons and Back to Basics out against each other. And either way, at that point we go, oh, okay, yeah, maybe it in this meta game now Back to Basics needs to receive the point because it's the linchpin in these things that are uh, allowing these... Uh, budget decks to dominate i i don't know if that's going to be the case it's um it's still a thought experiment at the moment we're still brewing and and, and yeah. understanding what the new landscape might look like if we went down that path um but know that we can address that if it surfaces yeah. the most important thing is to be accessible that's the number one goal and then we can we can tweak as needed and, and shape as needed uh yeah. afterwards
0: for sure um So I think uh, none of there is no if there was a possible solution, he says, eventually coming to a thought. Um, if there was a possible solution <laughs> that had no drawbacks and was easy to implement, we'd have done it by now. Um, yeah. I've been talking with people about Highlander having a potential accessibility problem, which has been getting worse um, for five years at least. Mm, um, yeah, you know there was the idea that um, got floated a little while ago about. Um, a split format which was you know say highlander but modern legal uh, maybe that's a solution that needs to be um discussed it is after all uh splitting off and creating a new format with less cards in it is after all essentially wizard's favorite method of fixing problems with old formats <laughs>
1: yeah uh let's split the player base because we want to satisfy these people who like to play this thing but we also want to satisfy the people that want to get into this particular pool of cards um but on, on your note of talking about it for five years i i completely agree with you i my my first youtube videos when starting adelaide eternal the first seven point, seven minute seven point series videos that i made were budget decks they were all about how do we make this on a budget and then looking at decks and building them and saying okay if you're on a budget you can take this card out and you can put this thing in and you won't be, you know, strictly worse. You won't be dramatically losing. It was it was one of the main drivers behind the video series that I was creating was around affordability. And that was like, I don't know, what, what five, six years ago. And now I look back on it and I was talking about, oh, uh, so you can cut the tiger and you can still play this or you, and, and, you know, you'll save $100. And, wait, $100? <laughs> you look back on it, wow, that didn't age well. <laughs>
0: My collection is um, built from a position of having had, you know, the uh, good luck to have been born earlier than most of the people listening, and so uh, I got to buy three of my four moxes for a hundred dollars each, mm-hmm. um, and even the most expensive one was only a thousand. Um, mm-hmm. Like in the scheme of things, I've paid much, much less than than they're currently worth. Um, I do want to. Uh, touch on a couple more of the the options that were discussed. Um, yep. So one we've alluded to is the idea of pointing jewels. Um, I think this is I think is this is a potentially viable but kind of unpleasant solution. Um, Tolly in the Discord also su- suggested a version of this, which is uh, first jewel is free, mm-hmm. um, and then you know you pay one point per two or one point per one or one point per three, whatever it ends up being. Um, which helps out the 2 color decks a lot. Because one of the problems mm-hmm. sorry, that I forgot to mention for the, um, the bonus point is decks without reserve list cards that aren't blue, because blue has a million options, um, do have some difficulty spending the bonus point for, for value necessarily. Or, or they kind of push you into everyone is just jamming a wasteland in, which is not the worst thing in the world. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, point for jewels do- doesn't have that problem. It it doesn't uh, again doesn't solve the whole problem from my point of view, um, because we we don't do anything about the accessibility of uh, other cards that aren't jewels. Mm-hmm. Um, what what else was on the, the suggestions that we had? there's
1: also the the notion of uh, two shocks so right. people who don't have bad lands can play two blood crypts in their deck. Um, again, you know with the associated. Uh, rules where we can uh, acknowledge that judges need to do deck checks so, you know the associated uh, logistics behind it but fundamentally that they're allowed to play two shocks and I uh, uh, the comments on that uh w- very widely like all of these they're always going to have wildly varying comments uh, but some of them were around it violating the nature of the format it's not quite singleton anymore It doesn't quite feel like highlander
0: spirit of the format
1: yeah against the spirit of the format and and then there's also the fact that it doesn't actually address the problem which is uh if if my opponent if i'm on a tempo deck and my opponent fetches a shock and they fetch another shock again uh that i love that you know um they don't have the chance to fetch that white first duel. However, if they fetch that first duel and they stabilise, then I'm in big trouble, and, and that's a really important part that accessibility needs to address.
0: For sure, yeah. It, it puts you in positions where um, the two shocks, shocks rule, again, um, probably helps two colour decks a reasonable amount. Maybe three colour decks is, is terrible, like Two Shocks mm. rule. Uh, no one's playing. No one's playing it anyway. But no one's playing like your old five color storm combo uh, mm-hmm. because that deck does not have ten spare life to give up while it's setting up. Um, yeah, that it wasn't already using for something
1: else. <laughs> you know what it does? It makes Death Shadow tier one. Oh, look, yeah, Death, <laughs> Death Shadow. Good. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, aside from that corner case, um, the issue around accessibility is not that they don't have enough lands to fetch. It's that they don't have the first land that comes into play untapped to allow them to not just die for to be completely run over uh, by such a fast format, especially now that it's such a tempo-based uh, format. Yeah. Um, but to the it, mostly, it looks like we've covered most of the options that are presented in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but as you can see from from those listening, it's it's not an easy task and and some of the comments in the survey were like we don't envy you <laughs> we don't envy your position you know thank you for opening this up and thank you for including us and you know thank you for for letting us have our say but we don't envy that you're gonna have to make a decision here because it's just too hard and and yes like we have opened up a can of worms to do this but it's a necessary can of worms. Uh, it's very clear that accessibility needs to be addressed in some way.
0: The the can of worms was already open.
1: We're just, you know, sweeping up the remains of it. That's Um, right. We're actually serving the can of worms to everyone and saying, (laughs) yeah, we've been talking about this, but now it's time that we are actually going to take action. Um, (laughs) Now, how do we do that? (laughs) And and
0: whichever solution we settle on, um, because we are going to do something... Uh, At the time of the next points announcement uh, which means I've got to get this out you know before then Um, but Mm -hmm. whichever solution we settle on we think is the best choice but as with any this is a community run format this is a community driven format as with any decision we make any pointy decision we make um, we're open to suggestions of ways to tweak and modify things like Rules are not set in stone. If we try one of these rules and it turns out to be a disaster, we'll modify it or remove it or change it, right? Um, We want to come up with a solution that keeps people who currently play Highlander happy to play it. So not banning the reserve list, probably. Uh, Mm -hmm. And makes it attractive to people who had previously looked at the format and just been like, yeah, I just... I don't like the buy-in because um, it's much easier psychologically to get to a point where you've been playing a format for 12 months with this bonus point rule, for example, mm-hmm. um, or whatever rule exists, and then say, you know what? I actually do think my deck would be heaps better with a Tager um, because as that Vance mm-hmm. guy says, every deck is better with a Tager.
1: Um, <laughs> Code 8, turn 1. Yeah, Go. absolutely. But like,
0: it, it's a much... It's a much easier mental hurdle once people are in the format to go, you know what, I am going to try uh, some of these uh, decks that are less accessible. It's easier to be in a position where um, someone lends you an underground C and you're like, that's cool. I will try this for a while. And if I don't like it, I have a, a back out plan that doesn't involve selling the whole rest of this deck probably. It yeah. just involves, you know, some different options.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, I guess watch this space. Uh, by the time you listen to this, you'll be... Our, our um, uh, cogs that are working in the background will probably be at the point where we're very close to announcing... Yeah. the final rule, but there's a lot of things that we're doing in the background. We need to talk to TOs. We need to actually um, see what's feasible and what's actually going to be a viable long-term strategy for accessibility uh, amongst these and, and other uh, possible solutions. So yeah, watch this space. Um, so here we normally say some
0: stuff and I don't really remember it.
1: Um, We're a bit out of practice, so please uh, forgive us. (laughs)
0: Um, If there is, we definitely haven't charged any money for quite a long time because (laughs) we've done anything. Um, There's a Discord that'll be in the notes. There's a Facebook group. The Discord is by and large more active and uh, you know quite friendly. So jump into that and have a chat. Um, You can find me on Twitter as uh, Vancian Notions. Uh, you can find Sarv, definitely not on Twitter, but you can find him on Facebook. Um, as
1: <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine if I'm like actually, I'd like to release my Twitter handle, and then suddenly I I'm just f- all fall yes. off my chair. Yeah, yeah. Honestly. I'm very not active on social <laughs> media, uh, but if you do want to contact me, I'm always uh, extremely uh, happy to receive emails from you or uh, private messages, uh, and I'm and anyone who knows me knows I'll just talk your ear off and I'll look at your deck and give you feedback and, you know, uh, eagerly talk about it. But I tend to do that more on a one-on-one basis or at events when chatting to people. It's just the way I do it, um, avoiding generally social media. But so if you if you are on Facebook, I do have mass- Messenger. So send me a, a message on that or um, send me an email.
0: Yeah. Um, and the other thing just uh, on a personal note, So as I said earlier, I am stepping down from the committee. Um, I've been on it for eight years I think maybe nine years now Um, COVID time kind of compresses everything Um, good innings yeah Um, nearly everyone has been a delight people sometimes get a bit overexcited and I would encourage you to uh, think before you write Um, but dealing with nearly everyone's been a delight the ideas people have the passion people have is great Um, but uh, I've reached a point where I'm as you may have noticed from some of our set reviews a bit less enthralled with the way Wizards is doing things recently um, and hopefully they can turn that around yeah, that'd fair. be great um, but also I've just you know uh, I've, I've done a lot and uh, I would like to get um, give someone else a chance to have a go um, I'll still be around uh, if the podcast keeps going which hopefully we'll get back into a swing of you know trying to do it monthly or so um, mm-hmm. I'll still be on it but um, I'll still be running the discord. I've got no plans to to stop that. Um so yeah. Uh so long and thanks for all the fish, etc.
1: <laughs> the community on behalf of the community community, uh thanks you for all of your involvement. No no doubt there'll be some kind of uh, uh proper proper send off and it's not going to be uh suddenly you disappear. There's going to be a mentorship uh period as as we've been chatting about on on the committee so whomever is is then appointed will get that opportunity to have a transition period um so these these are all new new and interesting times that that we're moving into um but vance isn't disappearing by by any means yeah
0: i I am not to continue the hitchhiker's guide for the galaxy metaphor a dolphin who's going to be (laughs) teleported up to a spaceship
1: anyway um goodbye (laughs) thanks everyone see ya